Really good to hear from Joel and Hannah as they're sharing their experiences about Holy Spirit. And we're going to be covering that this morning as well. If you have your Bible there, why don't you just go and grab that. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, or sentences 1 to 11. We're going to read them this morning. And as you do that, I just want to say uh, welcome to all the kids who are out there listening in back to school this week. Um, parents, I've heard that uh, that if the scientists can't find a cure to coronavirus, the parents will. <laughs> Hasn't our appreciation of school and teaching? has just gone up this last week. Um, and look, as you're turning in your Bibles to Luke, um, to Acts chapter 1, really what Luke's covering here is his sequel. And so over the last term, we've been looking at the Jesus way, that is looking at the economy of God here on earth. We don't have kingdoms. Jesus came talking about a kingdom, but we do have economies. And so we've been unpacking and exploring what does the economy of God look like here on earth? And in some ways, this Today represents the the end of Luke's account of Jesus' life. In fact, if you wanted to sort of name it in a different way, you'd say Luke's account of what Jesus has been doing um, whilst he was amongst people here on earth. And he writes a sequel, and we're picking it up today. And the sequel is really then um, titled Acts of the Apostles, but it's probably more accurately called The Acts of Jesus Working Through People's Lives. And if there's one thing I want to uh, think that this particular topic and this particular passage is looking at today, it's as though Jesus is looking to his disciples and is saying, this is your turn. This is not the end. This is just the beginning, the work that I've been doing. I want you to continue here on earth, and I'm going to enable you to do that most profoundly. And so Jesus is going to turn to them. He's going to say, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send someone to you, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to help you. So this is where I'm going this morning. I want to talk about the Spirit motivates, the Spirit ministers, and the Spirit mobilizes people. That's what we want to cover. Because as Jesus is talking about his way, he wants that work to continue here on earth. What Joel and Hannah were talking about, that's what we want to pick up again today. And so there's this whole idea, if you like, of Jesus not leaving us alone. He's going to send someone. Now, I don't know if you remember the first time you ever got to back a trailer I remember looking at that thing and saying, that is so easy. I mean, look at that person. They can just back it in exactly where they want it to go. And then they threw me the keys and they said, now it's your turn. (laughs) I remember getting in that car and trying to back that trailer. I turned one way, went the other way, and it was an entire mess. And if you like, that's what Jesus is going to be doing here is saying, I know my work looked easy, but that's because I had spirit with me. What I want you to do is I want you, as I toss you the keys to the car, And as you get to back the trail, I want you to know that I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. So if you have your Bibles there, let's turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 to 11. And we're really covering the first two chapters of the book of Acts, the sequel in Luke's account of Jesus' life. And it goes like this. Dear Theophilus, the previous book which I wrote had to do with everything Jesus began to do and teach. I took the story as far as the day when he was taken up. Once he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to his chosen apostles, his sent ones, he showed himself to them alive after his suffering by many proofs. He was seen by them for 40 days during which he spoke about God's kingdom. And as they were having a meal together, he told them not to go away from Jerusalem, but to wait, to wait, as he put it, for the father's promise, which I was telling you about earlier. You see, John baptized with water, you see, but in a few days from now, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That is, you'll be immersed, you'll be dipped, you'll be dunked with the Holy Spirit. 
So when the apostles came together, they put this question to Jesus. Master, they said, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time in which all of what the prophets have been talking about, that God is going to become king here on earth through his representative, in which all of the, the pagan overlords are going to be thrown out, all of the oppressors, and we are going to, if you like, sit at the top of the mountain and you are going to shine through us and all the nations are going to come and see who you are. Is this the time when you're going to make that restoration? And Jesus says to them, it's not your business to know about these times or these dates. The Father has placed all that under his own direct authority. What will happen, though, is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. As Jesus said this, he was lifted up while they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. And as they were gazing into the heavens, then he disappeared That is, he went to be in God's dimension, in heaven's dimension. He wasn't taken up as though heaven's just in the sky, but he entered into his father's realm, that heavenly dimension that is just close by, but it's just out of eyesight. It's in another dimension that's close to ours, but it's not very far away. It's just that we can't see it. And then lo and behold, two men appeared dressed in white, standing beside them. And they said, Galileans, why are you standing here staring into heaven? This Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you saw him go. Let's just leave it there for a moment and pause because I'd like to pray. You're tuning into us this morning and you haven't checked out God before. This is for you too. And I'm going to pray and ask that God might open up our eyes and minds and hearts and lives Receive who he wants to speak to us about today. Father, just where you dwell in your heavenly space, in your dimension, not far away from here. I pray that you might reach out to us through all this different technology, that you might meet meet with us in our living rooms, in our lounge rooms, wherever we're tuning in from. That you might speak to us and that you might reveal to us, Holy Spirit, your Spirit, God the Spirit that you might speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I kind of feel like I want to go out on a bit of a limb today because I want to talk about my experiences of God, and in particular, my experiences of Holy Spirit. Why do I feel like that's going out on a limb? Because often when you you speak about your experiences of God, it can be misconstrued. Uh, If you like, it can be manipulated in different ways. Because when I read these words, I realize that we live in a flat world. That is, there's this ideology in our Western context that says all there is is here and now. There is nothing more than material stuff. You see, my experience of God isn't like that. My experience of God leads me to think that there is something more, that we are spirit, not just matter, not just substance of chemicals and atoms. We're more than that, and your experience tells you that as well. It was just um, as we read about angels, I'm reminded of a number of years ago. It was on Easter, Good Friday morning that I was walking to our facility to prepare and it was in the early hours of the morning. And I usually get there first and I do some preparation. And as I was walking towards the building, I noticed that there was an elderly person, an elderly lady, heavy set lady sitting on the seat just outside the building. And for those of you who have gone past, you'll know the wooden seat I'm talking about. Well, it was really strange because I've never seen this person before and I haven't seen them ever since. Elderly person just sitting there. And as I walked past, it was early hours. I said, hello. We had just a small amount of engagement. And then I walked to the doors to open them. 
I thought, this is really curious because I've never seen this person here before and it's so early. I remember opening the doors not any more than 20 meters away and I looked back and the person was gone. And, and I thought, this is really curious. So I walked back to where the seat was and there's just no way that they could have run away or walked away really quickly in that time span. So I actually went looking for them and I couldn't find them. And as I was scratching my head, I was thinking to myself, you know, there's a passage in the Bible that says, be hospitable because you never know when you're actually entertaining angels and you had no idea. Now that morning, I don't think I was entertaining anyone. I just walked past a person that I can't account for apart from think that that was just God's way of reminding me that we are more than matter, that there's a spirit dimension, a heavenly dimension that he opens up. And so we get this encounter, this story this morning in which Jesus says, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. Wait, because there's going to be this new power, this source, Holy Spirit. When the Spirit comes, you're going to receive this power. The word is dunamis. And we think, well, what kind of power is he talking about? Is he talking about doing 100 push-ups? Is he talking about being able to leap a tall building in a single bound? I mean, what kind of power is he talking about? Well, actually, what we come to discover, it's the power that transforms the human heart in profound ways and more. You see, if the world or if we were like cars, if I could put it in a more crude sense, and God was the manufacturer... Uh, the story of the Bible sort of goes like this, that when he first manufactured the cars, he didn't make them with any faults. But when they got off the assembly line, we soon realized that there was two problems with them. They were subject to decay. They got dirty when they were driven. And if you drive your car, they get really messy on the inside. And sometimes after a while, the engines wear out. And so if you like, God's been into wanting to fix the problem that came not off the assembly line, but as a result of being driven in all different ways. So he sent his son and he, if you like, and he died on a cross and rose again, he forgave people. He washes them clean with his blood. It's as though God has taken our vehicles and when you come to know Jesus, he gives them a cut and polish on the outside and he vacuums them on the inside and he cleanses them, he washes them. People feel an extraordinary sense of peace. But also he says, I didn't just want to, clean you up. What I want to do is drop in a new engine entirely. And so he gives them the spirit. And if you like, the spirit is like that engine that's dropped in that makes the car run entirely the way in which the manufacturer first intended. Like it makes them want to do that. That's been my experience in my life. I remember when I was in my early 20s, I was, I was, I would call myself a Jesus follower and I'd have the spirit, but there was all these other things that I held on to that I thought were more important until God caught up with me. All I can do is explain it that over a period of about two weeks, I sensed that there was this liquid love being poured into me and it was starting to change and, and soften my heart in ways that we used to, if you like, it used to knock off some of the harder edges of pride and um, independence. It gave me a love and a vision for other people around about me. And all I can do is explain that it was like God dropping, if you like, an engine, a new engine into me of the Spirit's work that gave me a love for other people. It was like a, I loved people beforehand, but it was like love on steroids. It was a more profounder love. It gave me a heart for God and it gave me a heart for other people. And that's what this dunamis, this power is that the Spirit talks about. And then he says, 
In verse 8, you're going to be my witnesses. Now, a witness in the ancient world was someone who would be act like a herald that when there was a new king, a new queen that ascended to the throne, a new Caesar, they would send out heralds into the world to declare that there's a new king. And that's exactly what Jesus said would happen to them is that when they experience this power, the spirit dropping, if you like, God dropping a new engine into their life that they would be propelled outward and that they would go out into the world and they would be sort of witnesses to who God was, heralds to say there's a new king and his name's Jesus. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father and he's bringing his kingdom to bear here on earth. And so why don't you read with me because that picks up in the book of Acts. And if you look with me, it says... In Acts chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost had finally arrived, Pentecost was this agricultural festival. It was a time in which um, the Jewish people would uh, have their barley crop. They would break off the first product of that, and then they would count 50 days before the wheat harvest came. They'd harvest the first fruits of the wheat, and they would bring it into the temple as kind of a way of saying, Thanks, God, for the provision. We're trusting you for the rest of the harvest. But like many of these festivals, they were all caught up also with historical accounts. And Pentecost also celebrated the 50th day after the Israelites had been liberated from Egypt when they received the laws, the God's commands, his ways for living and being fully human on Mount Sinai. And so both of these things are coming together on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after. He said, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in the same place. It says, suddenly there came from heaven a noise like the sound of a strong blowing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. I mean, this must have been extraordinary, this sense of God's wind blowing in this house. And it says it comes from heaven, not far away, but from the dimension where God dwells. And he was breathing, if you like, new creation, new life. And it makes people remember the idea of wind and the spirit, that word in Hebrew is ruach, his breath, his wind, bringing new life. And this was, was swirling around in this house. It must have been extraordinary. And then it goes on and it says this in verse 3 and 4. Then tongues seeming like made of fire, and this is where it gets weird, if you like, appeared to them, moving apart and coming to rest on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them words to say. I mean, you have this this dynamic experience. What to make of it is so difficult. You have the Spirit being likened to, to water and to wind and to fire. It's dynamic. It's moving. And it kind of rests on them like a tongue, like a speaking tongue. And, and it says, as soon as the Spirit filled them, they were given utterances of speaking in languages, human languages that they hadn't learnt. And in verse 11, it sort of explains what those languages were heard as. And it goes on and says that the people who were there at the day of Pentecost for the festival that had come from all different locations, when they heard them speaking in these languages, it was their own language declaring the power and the greatness of God. You see, when the Spirit comes in someone's life, it often points to the Son and to the Father and it reveals them. Now, for those of you that know more of the accounts following this, we discover that this spirit filling and this tongue speaking, this other languages is not just human languages, but other spirit languages. It's a heavenly language. It's another dimension. And sometimes it's both being interplayed. I remember for many years in my own life that I was seeking more of God and wanting to experience more of him. 
And when I would read these passages, I'd think, God, if there's any more of you, if there's other languages that need to be learned or the Spirit filling me up more of who you are, then I want that. And about 19 years ago, before I actually planted and began New Community with Bron, I woke up in the middle of the night and all I can describe is it was like this weird experience of gibbering away, like my, my tongue was loosened. And I began to mutter in things that I didn't understand what I was saying. I turned to Bron and I said, this is weird. What do you think this is? And she goes, I don't know. Maybe it's this spirit language stuff. Well, I didn't know quite what to make of it. So I went and saw a, a, another minister who I knew was versed in these areas. And I said to him, how do I know if this is a spirit language or not? And he gave me some wise words. He said, Troy, if it's not of God, I don't think you'll be able to sustain it. And over the past 18, 19 years, as I've explored that further, I find myself praying in human languages and praying in a spirit language. You see, prayer is this most profound conduit between the two dimensions of heaven and earth. It's like worship, which is another expression of prayer. It's this conduit. It's this connection. And there's times in which I pray in intelligible languages, English that I've learned. There's other times which I pray in this spirit language. And all I can say is that it's a, an encouraging thing, but it's as though there's a different dynamic that I can employ when I'm praying for people and about things. In fact, when Lynn Morasi came, as you heard Joel and Hannah speak about recently, it was like a boot camp 101 for people who wanted to know more about Holy Spirit. In our last session, she said, like, I... I we're just going to wait for a moment because I believe that the God might want to speak to some people through this spirit language and then we're going to interpret it. And I thought, wow, okay, we're going to go, this is a little bit outside of my comfort zone. And so we paused, we waited, we prayed. And then she said, I think there's three people who have a spirit language that I need to speak to us in this setting, in this boot camp, in this kind of exploratory space. And uh, I remember Bron Harris, she I was so reluctant she, she got up because she just knew that the, everyone would be looking at her and she had this impression of a spirit language. So she spoke it. You know, at the very moment in which she spoke it, I had this sensation where it was like um, a, a, an experience of, of, of like um, coming up out of my chest and into my arms. And as soon as she was speaking that, those words, even though I didn't understand them, the, the passage from Luke chapter 4 just came vividly into my mind where Jesus is saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the prisoners, to set the captives free, to bring sight to the blind, to, to talk about the favorable year of the, of the Lord for everyone. And that just sort of just landed in my mind. Well, at the end of it, Lynn said, well, who might have an interpretation of this. And I, I waited and no one else spoke. And I said, well, this is what I, I got. And afterwards, Bron said, actually, I totally resonated with what you were saying because, funny, when you spoke, I got this strange sensation in my chest that went into my arms. And it was as though it was confirming to new community. And I just loved the way in which that dynamic worked. It was given to us and somehow interpreted just give a message to new community to say, you know what, this is a season and a place and a time in which God has given us good news to proclaim to the poor, to anyone, to everyone about the favorable deeds of God through his son Jesus and his spirit. You see, when the spirit comes, the spirit motivates people. How do I know that? 
Because very quickly after this moment, they went from a house out into the public sphere. I've stood on the steps of the temple before when I traveled to Jerusalem many years ago. And as you stand in that place, you get this, this sense of the scope of this building. And it says they spilled out into this public space and they continued to speak in these languages that were intelligible languages, earthly languages. And people were hearing them. In fact, some were saying, I think these people are drunk. And other people were saying, no, how can they be drunk? It's only 9am in the morning, as if we all know that you can't get drunk at 9am in the morning. And so they were doing this and they were talking about this and they were saying, what does this all mean? And then Peter, it says, he jumps up. Peter jumps up and he says these words. He says, no, this is what the prophet Joel was talking about when he said, in the last days, declare God, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Peter stands up and he interprets what's going on. He said, this isn't a surprise. In fact, one of the prophets of old, Joel, he said that when the last days come, when God's kingdom breaks in here on earth and begins its work of putting all of the wrongs to rights in those last days, he says, God's spirit's going to be poured out, not just on one or two individuals, a king or a queen or an artisan, but on all people. And then he says this, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Yes, even on slaves and men and women alike, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. See, I love these words because as I hear about dreams and visions and prophesying, I, I actually know of different experiences that people at New Community and others and I've had of these things happening. I remember someone many years ago becoming a Christian through an Alpha course. And they said to me, you know, ever since I've invited Jesus into my life, my shopping habits have changed. I said, what do you mean? They said, I used to always need to get first in the line. Now I'm finding myself having this sort of extraordinary sense of patience. I mean, I'm there in the queue and I'm actually letting other people in. She said, I would never do that before. That's God's motivation, but that's also God's ministry to a person, changing them. I remember another man who had welcomed Jesus into his life, and he said, I used to be quite critical and judgmental of people who lived on the street. I used to think it was their own fault for being there. He said, once Jesus had come into my life, I found myself actually being transformed and changed. That's the Spirit's work. So that I began to look at them with different eyes. Now I stop and I interact with them and I engage with them in an entirely different way. But then there's dreams. Some years ago when we were waiting uh, for the arrival of our first child, we had another uh, couple of friends and they were trying to have children and were unable to. And Bron felt really heavy about this because of the other lady. She was trying and we were pregnant. And we had gone away on a holiday and we came back. And during that time, Bron said to me one morning, I had a dream last night. I said, what did you dream about? She said, I dreamt that our friend was going to have a baby too. And so when we got home, there'd been some weeks and the friend had actually tried to visit a few times and hadn't been able to sort of just get time alone with Bron. Eventually she said, I'm waiting on this day. And she waited. And as they talked, she said to her, well, I just want to share the good news with me. I'm pregnant. Bron said, when, when, when did you become pregnant? And when they talked about it, they realized that Bron's dream coincided with that same timing. What was that about? It was about God's way of actually trying to reveal something that someone else could pray for, and someone else could encourage someone else with. 
It was a gift, if you like, a way in which the Spirit actually ministers to people and through people for others because that's what the Spirit does. But not only does the Spirit minister, the Spirit also, if you like, mobilizes. Because as Peter's standing there on the, the steps of the, the temple and he's declaring this stuff about Jesus, his message is simply this. You killed Jesus, God raised him to new life, therefore he is Israel's Messiah and King and he's the Lord and the Master of the entire world and you're in big trouble. They said, what should we do? And he said this, turn back, Peter replied, be baptized every single one of you in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, so that your sins can be forgiven. You can be have a vacuum on the inside of the car and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, drop a new engine in. And that's what happened. It says 3,000 people on that particular day. They actually opened up their hearts, welcomed Jesus in, and he dropped a new engine, the Spirit, in their lives. And this is what happened. By God's Spirit, he mobilized them in an entirely different way. It says, All of those who believed and came together held everything in common. They sold their possessions and belongings and divided them up to, and, uh, to everyone in proportion to their various needs. I love this bit because what it talks about is that there was this sense of unity and oneness and love for one another. Those who had and those who didn't shared together. It was this kind of dynamic which causes us to think all the way back to the beginning of Luke's account of Jesus' life when John the Baptist is plunging people into the water, getting ready for the Messiah and the King to come and they turn to him and they say, what shall we do? What does this mean that we're getting ready for God's kingdom? And he turns to them and says, if you have two cloaks... And you see someone who has none. You give one of yours away and you keep one for yourself because that is the math of heaven. Without even having to be told about that, when the new engines dropped into these human bodies, this is what just happens, is that they're transformed and changed in a way that's dynamic and real so that they start to share what they have because they no longer define one another by blood and by ethnicity, but by faith in Jesus and this common new experience of Holy Spirit in their lives. I had a friend over in St. Andrews. He was studying there because he had been given and financially supported by others. He said to me last year, he said, I was coming really tight with my funding and I needed $10,000. I said, what did you do? He said, well, I went walking on a beach one morning and he said, I knew I had a benefactor that I could call. They said, call me if you're in financial difficulties, and I will help. He said, but I decided not to do that. I decided to pray. And when I prayed, I sensed God say to me, it's okay, I've got it covered. And so what happens, he said, he said, I just waited for a few days and lo and behold, out of the blue, I had my benefactor, uh, the person who's been supporting me, just call me out of the blue. And he says, I, I've just been praying and God's nudged me. That's the spirit. And he's nudged me and he said that um, I just need to offer you some financial support. My friend said, well, what figure have you been thinking about? He said, uh, I'm thinking about $10,000. He said, well, that's what I've needed. Why? Because God knows. And he sends his spirit. And sometimes you and I are the answers to other people's prayers because we've listened to the nudges and the promptings of God mobilizing us in a different way, a unique way that's profound and good and real. You see, if you like, when the Spirit comes, He ministers, He mobilizes, 
and he motivates us in the way in which God always intended. So just as we come to a close now, I want to ask you about your experience of spirit. Because the picture I have for new community is one that continues to build on and encourage the various giftings in a way that others are built up and lifted up because that's the way the body's supposed to work. There's a time there when Lynn was there and she said, who wants to come up for prayer for healing? And I saw numbers of people come up and others just lay their hands on them and pray for them. And I just loved it. I thought, that's what I want to see happening just naturally all throughout the life of our church community, not just for us, but for others as well. It's that dynamic, that nudging, that prompting. Because you see, Peter said when the Spirit comes or when Luke when writes these things, he records the words that Peter says. And he says the promise is for you. That is the promise of the Spirit is for you and your children and for everyone who is far away, as many as the Lord our God will call. And I wonder today just where you are if he's calling you. I wonder if he's calling you to give up something that you need to give up because he's not right with God and you're grieving the spirit. You're a follower of Jesus, but you need to let it go so he can flow through you. I wonder if you're here and you're listening and you haven't even encountered Jesus before or the spirit, but he's inviting you to open up your heart. Like that day at Pentecost, say, Jesus, come in. Believe when you place your faith in Jesus, you wash you clean, drop a new engine in and begin to transform your life and make your whole fully human. Maybe you're here this morning and a follower of Jesus and the Spirit has been nudging and prompting you right now. Say, step up. Because I've got more work to do in and through you. But you need to press into me. You need to open up your heart to me. You need to respond to me. If you listen to this song right now, I just wonder if you might adopt a different posture. A posture of being open to God. That as you hear the words of this song, that you might ask God afresh, fill you, come in you, to empower you to do the work of spirit, because now it's your turn.